The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. To kind of go back to our little logic series and just focus on logical fallacies, because it seems like a lot of people a lot of people like that part. And Bob is getting me an extension cord. I think I have maybe 20 minutes on this, but just in case. Also, there is no PowerPoint. I'm sure you've found that out. <laughs> so uh, I was not aware of that. So you'll have to be very uh, attentive. <laughs> so does anyone remember what the noetic effects of the fall are? What does that mean? What are the noetic effects of the fall? No. Not Noah as in Noah in the ark. Noetic, the Greek word for the mind. Noetic refers to specifically your reasoning abilities. And the noetic effects, that is how has sin affected our minds, is that our thinking is essentially busted. It doesn't work right anymore. Thank you. Our thinking does not work correctly anymore. Romans 8, 7 says, The carnal mind is enmity against God. And Colossians 2, 13 says, We are dead in our sins. And 2 Corinthians 4, 3, 3 through 4 says, In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And what is the solution to this busted thinking of ours, that we can't reason about spiritual things properly? How do we fix this? Matt? Salvation. Salvation. John 3, 5 says, except, Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Romans 12, 2 says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind. Your mind must be changed. The way you think about the world around you, about who you are, about who God is, needs to change. Proverbs 9, 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want wisdom, if you want true knowledge, you must fear the Lord. And of course, uh, unbelievers can still think rationally about material things, things like physics and math. But when it comes to spiritual matters, they cannot think properly, primarily because they don't want to. They will not think rationally about it. They don't want to accept any conclusions uh, that the Bible um, brings to them. And so that makes it very difficult to have discussions with unbelievers about, is the Bible true and what it says? Because even if you offer them a very, very good argument, they don't want to accept it. They will come up with any excuse to try and get around it and avoid it. And we talked about uh, one fallacy uh, a couple times when we were doing our logic lessons, and that is the fallacy of false neutrality. Why is neutrality a fallacy that is an error in reasoning? Pretending to be neutral in the debate. Because you're not. <laughs> There's no such thing as neutrality. Matthew 12, 30, Jesus said this very thing. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. 
Romans 8, 7 says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And John three twenty says, For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. He will not come to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. He would have to change his way of living. He doesn't want to give up his sin. And so when we try to discuss, is the Bible true with unbelievers, we need to remember we have very different worldviews, very different ways of interpreting the world around us, different ways of reasoning. And the question is, what is the right way of reasoning? And of course, Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, so the right way of reasoning is whatever conforms to God. God himself is truth and is the standard of all truthfulness. So we can't come to a discussion about is the Bible true by trying to be neutral and trying to argue purely on the basis of evidence. Evidence is useful and it can confirm your position, but it will not get you anywhere with the unbeliever. And so fallacies, studying fallacies is very good because it helps us spot those inconsistencies in their arguments. It spots out, it can spot those errors in reasoning. It can kind of push our discussion a little further with them. Uh, Studying fallacies is part of the study of logic. What is logic? Can someone tell me what logic is? We have a lot of work to do. (laughs) What is logic? It is the study of correct and incorrect reasoning. That's it. It's just the study of correct reasoning and incorrect reasoning. Uh, Formal logic and (coughs) deductive reasoning is primarily based on what is called a proposition. Propositions are things that you affirm to be true or you affirm to be not true. Uh, To go over some examples, is this a proposition? All dogs are purple. Is that a proposition? Yes, because I'm affirming that all dogs are purple. Well, now that's true is irrelevant. The point is, it is a proposition. How are you? Is that a proposition? What is it? That is a question. How are you is a question. Just keep swimming. What is that? This is a statement. What? what? It's a command. I'm telling you to keep swimming. I'm telling you to do something. That is not affirming or denying anything. Pluto is not a planet. That is a proposition. I'm affirming that Pluto is not a planet. You can't handle the truth. That is a proposition. And then logic is all about arguments. An argument is a set of propositions where one is claimed to follow from the others. The one that follows is the conclusion. So I'm setting up propositions. The one that follows from everything else is your conclusion. And again, I'm sorry we don't have a PowerPoint. It's a lot easier to soak this in if you can visualize what what I'm saying. There are two main types of logic. Does anyone know what those are by chance? Anyone want to go way back? Yep. Deductive. Sounds very similar. What? Inductive. (laughs) Good job, Ronald. The two primary forms of logic are deductive and inductive. There's also abductive, but we're not really going to get into that. We don't use that a lot. Deductive is concerned with absolute truth claims. 
It's trying to determine what is true and what is false. So your conclusion is either true or false. Inductive reasoning is not so much concerned with, is it absolutely true? It's concerned with, is it very likely to be true? So to say the, to demonstrate the difference, deductive would be, all men are mortal, Kyle is a man, so Kyle is mortal. Those are absolute statements. All men are mortal. Kyle is a man. Those are absolutes, and Kyle is mortal. Inductive reasoning would be more like, for the past hundred years, on December 8th, it has always rained. For 100 years, every December 8th, it rains. Therefore, I conclude, next December 8th, it will rain again. That's not absolutely true, but that is a, you could say, a strong argument. For a hundred years, that's happened every December 8th. Therefore, I say it's very likely true to happen again. It may surprise people that that is actually the basis of science. Uh, science is inherently inductive. In fact, it's also sometimes called the inductive principle. <clears throat> The reason why science <coughs> is inherently inductive is because I'm using past experiences to determine what is likely to happen in the future. Like if I dropped a pen over and over and over again, and I notice it always falls down, and it always falls at a consistent rate. In fact, all objects seem to fall at a consistent rate. I would then conclude, well, in the future, it will happen again. Well, that's induction. I have not proved that to be the case, but I'm saying it's very, very, very likely to be true. And that may surprise some people, because people like to think of uh, the scientific principle as if it's an, an absolute property, that it deals with absolutes and it doesn't. It's not to say it's not useful and it can't determine truth, but we need to understand that science is inherently inductive. It's based on past experiences and our interpretation of those experiences, which can sometimes be wrong. But <clears throat> let's rewind and do a little basic argument. All men are mortal, Joel is a man, and Joel is mortal. One term in logic is called a valid argument, and this is a little bit of review. A valid argument, does anyone remember what that means? What is a valid argument? Huh? Almost. A valid argument is when you have a conclusion that follows from the premise, the given premise, regardless if those premises are true or not. So that argument, all men are mortal, Joel is a man, therefore Joel is mortal. That's valid because the conclusion does follow. A sound argument, a sound argument is a valid one and its premises are true. So the premises are true and the conclusion follows from them. Therefore, it's sound, it's true, is another way of putting it. Now, there are ways that an argument can be bad. One of those reasons we've already talked about is a fallacy. A fallacy is when the conclusion does not follow from the premise. There's an error in the reasoning there. Another way it could be wrong is a false premise. One of your premises is not true. I could say, uh, all men are mortal, Joel is an angel, therefore Joel is mortal. It doesn't make sense, because <laughs> angels would be immortal. A third way, and this is a big one I really want to emphasize, a third way an argument can be bad is that it is arbitrary. What is arbitrariness? 
sort of. It's opinion. It's an argument based on opinion rather than any reason or system. And in the study of logic, no one is ever allowed to be arbitrary. You can't, not, you can't just base your argument on an opinion. Because I could just have a different opinion. And that would just, then we can't get anywhere. Another thing to point out is that all arbitrary arguments are reversible. Every single one. I could, and that's a very good way of pointing out to someone when they're being arbitrary, is just be arbitrary back. If someone says, well, you're stupid for believing in creation. Well, first of all, it's an ad hominem, but that's also arbitrary. I could say the same thing back to you. You're stupid for believing in evolution. I wouldn't say that, but the point is um, to demonstrate that's why that doesn't work, because then we're just calling each other names and being arbitrary. Here's, uh, let's get into some fallacies. I see evolution happening, therefore evolution is true. What is that? I can see evolution happening when people usually say this. Huh? Sort of. We don't see a certain kind of evolution happening. What? What do you call that? Equivocation. Equivocation. I've switched the meaning of the word evolution. I see evolution happening, therefore evolution is true. Usually when people say that, what they mean is, I see dogs changing into other kinds of dogs. And technically, yes, that is a definition of evolution. But that's dogs changing into dogs. That's a wolf changing into domesticated dogs. You're having wolves take, uh, change into coyotes and such things. That's not a dog turning into a cat or a fish or something. Saying, I see evolution happening, therefore evolution is true. I've changed the meaning from evolution from speciation within one kind to evolution over different kinds, from a, like a fish to a mammal. That's equivocation. You're changing the meaning of a word. What about this one? All dogs are mortal. That is immortal. There is a mortal. That is a dog. All dogs are mortal. That is immortal. Therefore, that is a dog. That, huh? This is a hard one. This one is called the undistributed middle. Just because all dogs are mortal does not mean all mortals are dogs, right? The undistributed middle. And I had a picture here that would really help you visualize it, but it's not here. Essentially, you can imagine one big circle that's all the mortals. Every kind of mortal is the whole circle. And within those are smaller circles like dogs and humans and bees, anything that can die. Just a little more review. A complex question. Do you still beat your wife? Some people might be offended if, if I asked you that. Do you still beat your wife? Why is that wrong? Why is that a bad question? It's an assumption. A complex question is a category of circular reasoning. A complex question really is a question that should be divided into two because I've already assumed the answer to one of those questions. It should be divided into have you ever hit your wife? And number two, if so, do you still? And the reason why we use such a draft, you'll typically see people use that example because it really emphasizes why there's something wrong with that question. Have you ever hit your wife? And if so, do you still? A lot of evolutionists will say, why are you against science? Why are you against science? It's a complex question. It should be divided into two questions. Are you against science? 
And if so, why? Well, I'm not against science. Therefore, the second question is not applicable. It's not applicable. If someone said, if I asked an evolutionist, why is the universe so perfectly tuned for life? Why is, or you can say the earth is so perfectly tuned for life. They'll say, because if it wasn't, we wouldn't be here to observe it. That's a very common response. If it wasn't perfectly tuned for life, we wouldn't be here to observe it. That is called an irrelevant thesis. An irrelevant answer. It doesn't answer my question. It is true that if the universe was not fitted for life, we wouldn't be here to observe it. That is true because we'd all be dead. But that doesn't answer my question, why is it that way in the first place? To give you a silly example, this is something uh, Dr. Lyle likes to use, and I like it too. Uh, if I was the sole survivor of a plane crash, I'm the only survivor of a plane crash, and a news reporter came to me and said, Mr. Kyle, why did you survive that plane crash? And I said, because if I didn't, I wouldn't be here to answer your question. That doesn't answer the question. It is true, but it's irrelevant. Let's skip down. Actually, here. I want you to think about this one. All men are mortal. Gabrielle is a woman. Gabrielle is mortal. Is that a good argument? Yes. It is, an ar it is a good argument. All men are mortal. Gabrielle is a woman. So Gabrielle is mortal. The reason why that's a good argument is because the word, some people are confused and say, well, you said all men are mortal, and men doesn't include women. Well, when you're reading an argument, you should always go with what is the most obvious context here, unless it's otherwise uh, defined some other way. All men are mortal, the most obvious context would just be mankind in general. All men are mortal, Gabrielle's a woman, women are part of mankind, therefore Gabrielle is mortal. That is valid and that is sound. Creationists teach animals don't change, but we see animals changing all the time. And the implied conclusion is creationists are wrong. This is very similar to equivocation, but it's not the same thing. Creationists teach animals don't change, but we see animals changing all the time. What would that be? It's a very, very, very popular fallacy. Creationists teach that animals don't change but we see animals changing all the time. Huh? False premise? What would it be if I used a false premise of your position? What if I used a false, uh, a false representation of your position? That would be a straw man. There you go. It is a straw man. I'm attacking a misrepresentation of my opponent's position. I don't want to attack their actual position because that's too difficult for me. So I'm going to misrepresent their position and then attack that instead and then act like I won the argument. I had, a, again, a picture you can imagine here is if you're in a someone's in a wrestling match and they're just wrestling with uh, a scarecrow and then they act like they won some challenging match against a human being. They're fighting against a straw man. They're not attacking the actual objections made by their opponents. You either live by faith or you're rational. It's one or the other. Either you live by faith or you live by rationality. What would that be? 
That is called bifurcation. I was more expecting some of the teens to remember that. <laughs> bifurcation is assuming there are only two positions when really there could be a third option. Why not live by faith and be rational? In fact, I would argue I'm rational because I have faith. It's my faith in God's word that makes me rational. And a silly example would be if someone actually came to you and said, either the stoplight is red or it is green. Well, that's not correct. There could be a third option. It could be what? Either the stoplight is red or it is green. It could be yellow. There's a third option. So bifurcation is assuming there are only two conclusions or two options when really there could be a third one. A lot of times, especially in textbooks, you'll read how evolutionists are trying to explain how evolution happened. Like, how did we evolve a heart and blood and lungs to get air to the blood? How did that happen? In what order did that, did that happen? Because you can't have... Why would the human body develop a heart if there was no blood first? Why would we develop blood if there was no heart to pump it? Why would we have blood at all if there's no lungs to give it oxygen? You need all these things at once, so how did animals develop these things? Typically, you'll see some answer like, well, evolution found a way around these problems. Evolution found a way around these problems. What would you call that? And again, I'm kind of expecting some of the teens to remember. I see him struggling over their tape, because <laughs> he feels like he knows it. Evolution found a way around these problems. That is called reification. That is personifying a concept with concrete characteristics, or essentially humanizing a concept. Evolution found a way. Evolution can't find a way because it's a concept. It doesn't do anything. Organisms could find a way or a path to go along, but evolution is a concept. It cannot do anything. So saying, saying that evolution can account for why we have such a complex body just because it found a way, that's a fallacy. You're just saying that evolution can do things when really it can't. What about this? Mr. Rudder is single, so I wouldn't trust any marriage advice he gives. <laughs> that is called the genetic fallacy, because you're dismissing someone's argument purely because of the person making it. Or that is, you're dismissing an argument because of where it came from, hence the word genetic. The genetic fallacy is dismissing an argument by objecting to the person making it. Well, Mr. Rudder is single, so he can't give good marriage advice. That's the genetic fallacy. Just because Mr. Rudder is single doesn't mean he can't have some good marriage advice. Here's a common one. You're stupid for believing in creation. You believe in creation because you're stupid. It's name-calling. It's irrelevant, but what fallacy would you call that? It starts with an ad. An ad hominem. Ad hominem means attack or to the man or attacking the man. Specifically, this is an abusive ad hominem. I'm just name-calling and then acting like, there, that settles my argument. You're stupid. <laughs> that doesn't get you anywhere. And that is a very, very, very common fallacy. You will see it all the time, even in professional debates. 
of debaters just calling people names and acting like that answers their objections, that that somehow gives an argument when it doesn't. In other words, I'm giving an insult in place of reason. I'm substituting an argument with just an insult. Typically, people do that because they don't actually have an argument. What about this one? You just want higher gas prices because you work at a gas station. Because then you'll get a higher paycheck. You just want higher gas prices because you work at a gas station and you want a higher paycheck. That is called a circumstantial ad hominem. You're dismissing an argument because of the arguer's motivation or circumstance. You're just a Christian because your parents raised you that way. The only reason why you believe in Christianity is just because your parents raised you that way. So Christianity, it doesn't matter. That's not good reasoning. That would be like me saying, well, you just believe in the multiplication table because someone taught you that in school. Yep. Right. It is true. I may be a Christian just because someone raised me that way, but that doesn't mean I don't have good arguments for being a Christian. Why I continue, right, but I know that's what you were trying to get at. Right. Right. Whether or not some Mormonism is true is irrelevant to whether or not someone raised them as a Mormon. The question is, can they give a good reason for why Mormonism is true? Of course, the answer would ultimately be they can't. Whether or not someone raised me as a Christian is irrelevant to whether or not Christianity is true. What if someone raised me as an evolutionist? What would you say then? It's irrelevant. The question is, can I give a good argument for it? Going back to the gas station example, it is true that someone might be motivated to argue for higher gas prices because they want a higher paycheck. That, that, that doesn't mean he doesn't have a good argument. Maybe he does have a good argument. And it just happens that it benefits him. <laughs> so just because someone is motivated to make an argument does not mean the argument itself is bad. In fact, that would essentially stop us from preaching the gospel, essentially. The reason why I make arguments for the gospel is because I'm motivated to do so. I have a motivation for doing so. That is to glorify Christ. So we all have motivations for making arguments. Those motivations are irrelevant to whether or not those arguments are valid. If children aren't taught evolution, they will not know how science really works, and they'll be deprived of a proper ed education. If, people aren't if children aren't taught evolution, they won't know how science works, and they'll be deprived of a proper education. What is that? That is, the key word there is they'll be deprived of something. You're depriving children of something. That's meant to evoke pity. That is the appeal to pity. Persuading someone to accept your position by generating sympathy or pity rather than making an argument. And also, you're just assuming something there as well. If children aren't taught evolution, they will not know how science really works. That's actually begging the question as well. Because you're assuming that science is contingent on evolution. And I would argue differently. But the main one I wanted to focus on is pity. 
You're trying to persuade someone to believe your position because of how it makes people feel. If you teach creation, we'll fire you from this college. That is called the appeal to fear. Appeal to fear. Persuading someone to accept your position by generating fear rather than making an argument. I'm substituting fear rather than making an argument. Of course Darwinian evolution is true. The majority of scientists believe it. The majority of scientists believe in Darwinian evolution, therefore it's true. It must be true. What is that? My conclusion is that Darwinian evolution is true. What am I basing that conclusion on? By popular belief, of specifically popular belief of the experts. What fallacy is that? An appeal to authority. Appealing to authority. And the reason why appeal to authority is a fallacy is because experts can be wrong. It's happened many, many times. In fact, the majority of experts were wrong about the location of the Earth. Is it the center of the universe? No. <laughs> and unfortunately, many experts back in the day used to believe that. Another reason why appeal to authority is a fallacy is because not all scientists say evolution is true. For every expert that you appeal to, I can appeal to an expert of my own that argues the opposite. So someone might appeal to um, Richard Dawkins for evolution. I might appeal to Ken Ham or Dr. Lyle. And they may not like that because they're both creationists, but they're both very well educated. They both have PhDs. Uh, Dr. Lyle is an astrophysicist. He's made quite a few discoveries about the sun and how it works. So he is an expert, but his expertise is only, can only be used to uh, confirm it cannot prove. So appealing to experts can be useful for gathering information for yourself, but it's not going to prove your argument just, be, just on the basis that some expert said something. Here's another common one. No Scotsman puts sugar in his porridge. Well, Ken is a Scotsman. He puts sugar in his porridge. Well, no real Scotsman would put sugar in his porridge. What is that? The no true Scotsman fallacy. The no true Scotsman fallacy. No Scotsman puts sugar in his porridge. What does that have to do with being from Scotland? A Scotsman is a person from Scotland. Putting, porridge, putting sugar in your porridge is irrelevant. So what we've done here is arbitrarily redefined what a Scotsman is. Not only do you have to be from Scotland, but you also must not put sugar in your porridge to be a real Scotsman. No scientist denies evolution is true. Well, the scientists, the scientists at Answers in Genesis say evolution isn't true. Well, no real scientist would deny evolution is true. That is arbitrarily redefining what a scientist is. Not only must you be a scientist, but you also must affirm evolution to be a real scientist. And that's arbitrary. That's not what a scientist is. Believing in creation is like believing in a flat earth. You'll hear that a lot. Oh, the creationists, they're just flat earthers. What have I done? Take. 
close. Believing in creation is like believing in a flat earth. That is a false analogy. Making a comparison between two things that are alike only in trivial ways. Believing in creation is like a flat earth. That is only similar because they're both about the earth. The age of the earth and the shape of the earth. But those are completely different uh, topics. A recent creation has not been falsified by observation, whereas a flat earth has. A flat earth has been falsified by observation, but a recent creation has not been falsified by, re, uh, by observations. So that is a false analogy. Why do people say that? Believing in creation is like believing in a flat earth. Why would they say that? What's the intent? To mock, to make you look stupid, to associate you with stupid people. Or maybe I shouldn't say that. But <laughs> people perceived to be unintelligent or uninformed. So the reason why they say that is because they're trying to associate you with another group and therefore make people stop listening to you. We can go to vicious circular reasoning. These are circular arguments that are arbitrary and assume what you're trying to prove. Assuming what you're trying to prove is, is what um, a circular argument is. Uh, let's talk about begging the question. What is begging the question? An example of begging the question would be, miracles can't happen because they would go against the laws of nature. Miracles can't happen, that would go against the laws of nature. Well, yeah, that's kind of the point, but you haven't actually argued why that couldn't happen. <laughs> You're essentially saying nothing can go against the laws of nature because nothing can go against the laws of nature. You haven't proved that. I would say that God could go against the laws of nature. I would maybe no material thing could go against the laws of nature, but nothing, uh, maybe something supernatural could. So you're assuming what you're trying to prove. And Christians sometimes can do this. A Christian might say, the Bible says it's God's word, and it, and it says God can't lie, therefore the Bible must be God's word. That would be begging the question. I could say the same thing about the Quran. The Quran says it's God's word, and God can't lie, so the Quran must be God's word. That doesn't follow. The, uh, you're assuming what you're trying to prove there. Now, in my previous lessons, I did argue that without the Bible, you can know nothing, therefore the Bible must be true. That's not begging the question to demonstrate the difference here. I'm not just saying the Bible's true because it says it's true. I'm saying the Bible must be true because without it, we could know nothing. Knowledge would be impossible without it. You couldn't have any standard of truth or reason without the Bible being true. So one just says something is true just because it's true, whereas my past examples in the other lessons were talking about um, the impossibility of the alternatives. If you have questions about that, I can answer afterwards. A question-begging epithet, I know that sounds very sophisticated, but it's very simple. A question-begging epithet is simply using biased or emotional language rather than using an argument. Someone might say, our biology department is becoming infested with creationists. Infested assumes, it's assuming something, it assumes that being a creationist is a bad thing. I'm using emotional language there. People will often use emotional language or resort to using very emotive language because they don't actually have a good argument for their position. Uh, and to demonstrate why is this 
circular. Why is using emotive or biased language a circular argument? Let's say someone said, creationists say the universe is young, but the best scientists say that, that it's billions of years old. Creationists say that the, uni that the universe is young, but the best scientists say it's billions of years old. That's biased language. How do you know who, are, who the best scientists are? How do you know who the best scientists are? And essentially, again, it's easier if I could visual, visualize it. The best scientists teach the universe is billions of years old. How do you know who the best scientists are? The ones that teach the universe is billions of years old. That's circular. The best scientists teach the universe is billions of years old. And I define best by the people who teach the universe is billions of years old. That's going in a circle. And since we have maybe a few minutes here, I want to skip down. I want to talk about a very common technique in uh, debates and in logic, and that is called a reductio ad absurdum. That essentially just means reducing to absurdity. It's Latin for reducing to absurdity. Uh, someone in debate, a uh, Christian, was debating an atheist, and the atheist, whose name is Tabash, he said, got, to paraphrase, he said, God can't be real. The Old Testament describes God killing entire people groups and making arbitrary laws like not being able to eat shellfish or pork. So God can't be real, because the Old Testament describes God as killing entire people groups and making arbitrary laws like not eating shellfish. Essentially, what his argument, what this Christian pointed out to Tibesh is your argument essentially boils down to God is something Tibesh does not like, therefore God does not exist. That's not a good argument. God is something Tibesh does not like, therefore God exists. Reductio ad absurdum would push that uh, to absurdity. And essentially we do that by taking that line of reasoning and applying it elsewhere. I could say, well, Tibesh doesn't like what God does. Therefore, God does not exist. Well, reductio ad absurdum, reducing to absurdity, would say, well, Susie doesn't like what Trump does. Therefore, Trump does not exist. I have taken their reasoning and applied it to another premise, and it didn't work. So just because you don't like what God does in the Old Testament does not prove that he does not exist. It just means you don't like him. It could also be, uh, well, Tibesh doesn't like God, therefore God does not exist. Well, what if someone didn't like broccoli, and therefore they could argue broccoli does not exist? That doesn't make sense. I've reduced his argument to absurdity. I think we'll go ahead and stop there. Okay. So fallacies are very useful for pointing out people's error in their reasoning, and when you do that, it actually kind of makes them soften up and maybe not be so aggressive with you because it actually shows... All right, yeah, my reasoning's not very good. <laughs> Especially if you can give an actual example to them as to why the reasoning isn't good. So I hope you enjoyed that and learned something. Uh, you're dismissed. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 
888-949-94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.